It's good to see everybody here this morning. And I know there's a lot of people away, maybe some getting back from travels. I know there's a lot of sickness. I know the roads probably kept people away this morning as we got a lot of snow. But I am so thankful to have this opportunity to open the word uh, with you all, to dive into the text, to, to look and discuss what it means to grow in our relationship with Jesus here this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 90. So if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 90. It's about in the middle of the Bible. I don't have a page number for you. I could tell you page number 1052 of my Bible, but that does nothing for you. But we're going to be in Psalm 90 here this morning. And the title of our message here this morning is Thinking Rightly in the New Year. Thinking Rightly in the New Year. We want to go into 2022 with the right mindset, the right perspective. We want to be thinking rightly as we process through everything that we're going through presently, everything that we're going to be going through in the coming months. And as we think about this topic and we get ready to move into Psalm 90, I just want to say that perhaps my favorite movie series by far has to be the Hobbit Lord of the Rings series. I don't know if there's I don't know if there's any out there that would agree with me on that. I know there's some that would say, I hate them. I would never watch them again. But I love The Hobbit. I love The Lord of the Rings. I love that movie series. In fact, I love it so much that the original movies, which were so long, weren't long enough for me. So I asked my family to get me the super extended edition, director's cut, Hobbit, Lord of the Rings series. And my wife hooked me up for my birthday, which I was pretty excited about. But you know, one of, my, one of my favorite scenes in that movie, and you might, you might recall this if you've seen them, but in the second movie, they're wandering, Bilbo and the dwarves, they're lost and they're wandering in the forest of Mirkwood. They lost sight of the path. As they entered into Mirkwood, the, the elves and Gandalf were very clear to say, don't lose sight of the path, stay on the path. If you lose the path, you'll never find it again. You'll be lost, you'll be doomed, You'll be wandering for the end of your days. And as Bilbo and the dwarves lost sight of the path, they couldn't see the forest for the trees. They struggled to see their way out until Bilbo decides to gain a better vantage point. As he climbed the tree higher and higher and higher to gain a better view, he climbed until his head peeked out through that leafy canopy and he, and he could see for the first time, he could see clearly the road ahead. He could see the mountain. He could see the target. He could see the goal. And with newfound direction, he was able to see the destination. With spirits lifted, Bilbo knew the path that he must go and he was able to lead effectively and lay hold of the mission that was set before him. You know, brothers and sisters, so many times I think the imagery of this timeless tale defines our journey. Lost, right? Sometimes we feel lost. Maybe we've ventured off the path. We're struggling to find our way. Maybe 2021 was a rough one for you to where you say, you know what? My, my heart, my spirit, my direction was characterized by aimless wandering. Maybe you deviated in your walk with God. Maybe you pursued a path that was contrary to God's, God's scriptures and your heart is convicted over it and you feel like, I, I don't know how to get back to where I need to be. 
Maybe you find yourself discouraged. The road is hard. And I'm struggling to see the purpose, whether it be marriage issues or, or job issues or career question marks or financial concerns. Maybe you're despondent this morning, ready to throw in the towel. What's the use? I've worked hard, I've labored hard, and for what? Maybe you're feeling helpless this morning. You know, you might be finding yourself thinking, you know what, apart from outside intervention, I am doomed. You know, and, and what is it that could have us in this place? Maybe it's the, the relentlessness of COVID. Will it ever end? <laughs> I think we're stuck with it, folks. Will it ever end? Maybe it's frustration over political incompetence. Maybe it's the, the pain of financial pressures that have you crippled right now. Maybe it's fear over the unknown. You know, and what, what do we need in the midst of our journey through Mirkwood, if you will? What do we need amidst the fog of glaring uncertainty? What do we need to not just survive 2022, but to thrive in our walk with God and in our journey in 2022? Well, brothers and sisters, I'm going to say we need perspective. We need perspective. You know, we're going to take a look at Psalm 90 this morning. And as we dive into the text, Moses is going to give us a vantage point that I think is going to be super helpful for us as we're trying to figure out where we are and where we're heading and what kind of perspective needs to drive me in 2022. And it's my hope and my prayer that as we dive into this text, that, that the Spirit of God will lift our eyes to see, number one, a God that is not confined by time and space. Number two, a life that is desperately dependent. And number three, a mindset that fuels faithfulness. Let's look at this text together. Psalm chapter 90. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 here first. But the psalm opens up like this. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses opens up this passage with a statement of authorship. But I find it interesting here that he goes beyond authorship. He, more, more importantly, more significantly, Moses gives us a statement of, of ownership as he writes a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Moses had a relationship with God that was pretty special. If we remember the text, we remember the book of Exodus, and we journey through the story of Moses, we see that he was rescued from the wrath of Pharaoh in Exodus 2. Very miraculous means. God gave Moses a position of prominence as an adopted member of Pharaoh's family. He spoke to Moses directly in the form of a burning bush. God spoke to him directly. In Exodus chapter 3, as he commissioned him, God empowered Moses with powerful signs as his choice spokesperson in Exodus chapter 4. He saw him through the plagues in Exodus chapter 7 through 12. He led Moses safely across the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14. He was faithful to provide for Moses in the wilderness with water and manna and quail. He used Moses to communicate his law in Exodus chapters 20 through 23. Moses and the Lord had been through a lot together. 
to say the least. They had a relationship that was deep. It was unmistakable. So much, in fact, that in Exodus chapter 33, it states that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man would speak to a friend. That was pretty special, wasn't it? They were close. They were intimate in their relationship. Moses was unmistakably God's man. What about you this morning? How would you describe your relationship with God? As 2021 comes to a close, 2022 is staring us in the face. How would you describe your relationship with God? Open? Honest? Transparent? Healthy? Strong? Do you find yourself eager to speak with God and hungry for his words in your life? Or do you find yourself constantly looking for excuses to run from God, to move from God, to escape his voice? Could it be said of you and me that we are men and women of God, that our hearts are possessed by God, that our, that our souls are so entrenched in his truth that it defines who we are as individuals? Sadly, while there are oftentimes many things that would define Mike Dunford as an individual. God's man, so many times, ranks way too far down the list. Perhaps you can identify with that. You know, Moses understood what it took to lean into a good and gracious God. And while he too failed many times in pursuit of God, his passion for God was unmistakable. It was unmistakable. He states as he goes on in his prayer, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. You've been our dwelling place, God. And many commentators agree that this psalm was likely written towards the end of Moses' life. And as many of you know the story, Moses certainly lived a full life. It was most definitely, though, a life that was lived on the road. It was spent on the move, wandering for 40 years in the wilderness, in pursuit of God's promised forever home for his people. It's interesting here that even though Moses perhaps had valid reason to ache for an end to the wandering, he chose to focus his gaze on the one thing in his life that was stable and secure. His relationship with Yahweh. Think about that for a second. Think about the significance of your dwelling place. You know, as we all live in homes or apartments, our dwelling place provides for us shelter, warmth, comfort, security, provision. You know, when we think about that in light of this statement, it's as if Moses is saying, you have been my place of residence, God. You have been my source of security. You have been my shelter when the storms rage. You've been my rock. God, everything I need or ever will need, God, is sourced in you. Think about what 2022 would look like, brothers and sisters, if that was our mindset. You know what, God? The world around us is crumbling. The, the opinions of man are crippling us in our decision-making. It's making it hard for us to exist. Yet, God, I rest in you because you are my dwelling place. Everything I need, God, is sourced in you. You can, you can destroy the world around me, God. And as long as you are in my presence, 
and I am dwelling in you, God. That's enough. Do we look to God's provision in the same way? Or do we find ourselves growing discontent with our current situation to the point that we fail to see God's hand even in the difficulties? Brothers and sisters, God is unmistakably good. And in fact, God is the ultimate good that we could ever hope to possess. Moses understood this. And how, would it, how is it that Moses could say this and feel this and think this and live this reality? The answer, I believe, is found in this next phrase in verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Brothers and sisters, the eternality of God's being God is what caused Moses to desire to set up camp in his presence. He saw God as infinitely valuable. He saw his glory as inexpressible. He saw God's words as perfectly trustworthy. So much, in fact, that he devoted his life to following them. He was willing to die for them. This was the heart of this godly perspective, Moses' perspective. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You are my greatest pursuit, God. You are my ultimate good, God. You are my provision, my comfort, my shield. Your words are life to me. You are the great I am. Brothers and sisters, what story would our lives tell about our view of Almighty God in heaven? Perhaps a better and more honest question for us to consider here this morning is what needs to change? What is it that the work of, what is it that the Spirit of God needs to do in your heart this morning to get to that point where we could say our hearts are anchored in who he is? This God who transcends time and space is worthy of our trust. As we wander through the, the murkwood of doubt and despondency, let us never lose sight of the God who knows us better than we could ever know ourselves. You know, Moses was far from perfect. However, as he calls us to a vantage point that fuels life, and it begins with shaping a proper perspective by giving us an understanding of the eternality of God. He's quick to lead us to our second major point here this morning. A life that is desperately dependent. Seeing God for who he is leads us to an understanding of who we are not. Moses picks up in verses 3 to 11. He writes this. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You, you sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and it withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. 
The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? You know, Moses faithfully unfolds in this passage the depth of our inadequacy and desperate dependence by pointing us to a few key truths in this passage of Scripture. First, he wants us to see our insignificance compared to God's immeasurable worth. You return us to dust, he says in verse 3. You sweep them away as with a flood, verse 5. Like grass that fades in the evening, verse 5 and 6. God, the immensity of your existence is mind-blowing. And compared to you, God, we are nothing. Our insignificance compared to God's immeasurable worth. Our finiteness compared to God's unlimited nature. Verse 4, a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it is past. Our inescapable depravity compared to God's ultimate holiness. Verse 7, we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? What is it that Moses is saying here? This text can seem kind of discouraging when we read it. But he's bringing us to the light He's bringing to light the reality that viewing God for who he is in light of his all-consuming glory leads me to view myself in light of my imperfections, in light of the wretchedness of the fall, in my own heart, and in my own life. Society tends to label this as poor self-image. Scripture refers to this as God-honoring humility recognizing who God is brings me to a point where I have to come to grips with who I am not. And if I am not God, then I need to bow my knee to Almighty God. I need to surrender to his will for my life. I need to surrender to his way. I need to surrender to his plan. I need to recognize that everything that comes at his hand is good. Even the trial is a gift from God because it drives me to a greater love, a greater dependence, a greater need for him. This is kind of like what Isaiah describes in Isaiah 6. When Isaiah saw God for who he truly was, it led him to a terrifyingly humble view of self. As he realized that compared to God's immeasurable worth and infinite perfection, he was dirty and he was broken. Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? Because my eyes have seen the Lord. I've seen Yahweh. I've beheld his, his glory. And I'm humbled at my own brokenness. He was desperate for God to make him whole. This is what Moses is referring to here. The brokenness of our human condition. You see, Paul in Romans 3 states that all have sinned and fall hopelessly short of the glory of God. We can never hope to attain true godliness in our own strength because at our core, our sin is an offense to God's perfection. In fact, Paul goes on to state that because I am at my core a sinner, my wage, what I've earned, what I deserve is death. 
in Romans 6, eternal separation from this holy God. How sad would it be if God left the story here? (laughs) Thankfully, though, Paul goes on to state, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John 3 states that God so loved us when we were sinners that he gave his only son to pay sin's wage for all eternity so that whoever accepts this free gift will not perish but will have everlasting life. You see, brothers and sisters, God in his infinite holiness desires to make us everything that we are not. He desires to heal the broken. He desires to heal us in our sickness. He desires to take away the sin so that ultimately we can take on his righteousness. We are desperately dependent on the eternally existent one to produce in us that which we are incapable of producing in ourselves. And what does this lead us to? Well, it leads us to our third and final point here this morning. You know, Moses recognizes the limitations of his own human frailty compared to the eternality of God in Psalm 90. And as Moses comes to grips with who God is in light of his holiness, it led Moses to the third point, and that is a mindset that fuels faithfulness. A mindset that fuels faithfulness. We're going to see this in verses 12 through 17. Moses writes this. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You know, in light of the limitations of Moses' own frail character, he turns to God for his provision and intervention to make him everything that he was not in his own strength. He pleaded with God for several keys to a mindset that would ultimately fuel life for his journey. First of all, he says, teach me to number my days. Verse 12, teach me to number my days. God, help me to recognize the value of the brief time that you've given me. Help me to make choices that reflect my value is in you. Help me, help me God, to, to choose rightly. My life is worth investing because you, God, are holy. Brothers and sisters, this is at the heart of godly wisdom. Teach me to number my days. You know, I I just celebrated my 43rd birthday this year, December 15th. You know, as you read this text, it says the, the years of a man are 70 years, or if he's strong, 80. You know, I'm looking at my life and I'm thinking, wow, it's half over. How have I invested the first 43 years? When I look at my life and I see the choices and I see the wasted time and I see the temptation to spend hours sitting in front of the TV or to spend hours devoted to me or to spend hours doing things that have no bearing on the kingdom of God, it breaks my heart. 
I see this text and it says, teach me to number my days. God, help me to realize and recognize the vapor of time that you've given me. God, help me to seize it. And you know, kids, if you're looking at life and you're saying, wow, I'm, I'm young, I've got the rest of my life ahead of me to get serious about the way that I invest my time, you're kidding yourselves. You're kidding yourselves. You're going to blink and it's gone. You're going to look back on your life and say, what have I done with the time that God has given me? Oh, that God would teach us as a church to number our days. That God would teach our young people to say, you know what? I'm young. I have energy. Man, I want to turn the world upside down for the sake of the kingdom. For those of us in the middle of our lives that we would say, you know what? I might look back on the first 40 years with regret. But man, nothing. I, I am, nothing's going to stop me from changing the course of my trajectory. And by the power of God and in the, the power of his spirit, I'm going to make better choices. I'm going to get after it in 2022. I'm going to be a man of the book. I'm going to commit my life to not being a Bibleless pansy, but to being a man that runs hard after God, that loves his truth, that loves the gathering of his people. You know, if I take this mindset into my home, it transforms the way I think about my kids. It transforms the way that I think about my wife. God, teach me to number my days. Wow, today matters, God. Today matters. The enemy is at work. He's going after my kids, and he's looking to tear them apart. God, I'm going to get on my face before you and plead with you, God, that you would spare my kids today, that you would rescue them from the hands of the enemy. But more than that, that you would help them to thrive in their walk with God, that you'd help them to love you with a passion that, that cannot be quenched, God, that you'd give them a fire for your gospel and for your kingdom. That you'd set their world ablaze for the honor and glory of your name. God, teach me to number my days. My time with my kids matters. My priorities matter. You know, if we truly believed that God's word was life, I'm guessing it would hold a greater place in our daily and weekly priorities that we have as a family. If we're being honest, I think our choices reflect the, the opposite of that many times. We see it as an afterthought. If we saw it as life, we'd be reading it, we'd be discussing it, we'd be memorizing it, we'd be sharing it with one another, we'd be displaying the timeless truths found in God's word to our kids and encouraging a culture and an atmosphere in our homes where that was most important. My time with the kids would matter. My priorities would matter. My devotion to the mission would matter. Family, friends, neighbors, schools, community, etc. We, we, would, we would live in a radically different way if I truly believed the gospel and took seriously the brevity of life. If I were to tell you today that your life would end tomorrow, I can guarantee us that all of us would switch our priorities, right? None of us have a guarantee. Everything would change. And this is why Moses pled with God, teach me to number my days. God, this skill set falls outside my wheelhouse. God, I'm naturally and I'm wired as a knucklehead. God, the fall is crippling me. 
It's causing me to see this world as something that's attractive and desirable. Oh, God, teach me to number my days. Help me, God. I can't do this apart from you. Help me, God, as I desire a heart of wisdom. He goes on. He says in verse 14, Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. In other words, identify the counterfeit pleasures, God, in my heart and root them out. Lust of the flesh. A lot of things fill that that slot, don't they? Those things that gratify my, my human needs, or I think them as needs. Choosing to exercise my flesh as opposed to running to God. Whether it's Pornography, whether it's movies, whether it's escaping to to vices, escaping to addictions, whether it's running from relationships and running to those things that make me feel good now. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of possessions. God, help me to live for a cause that's infinitely greater than the here and now. Cause my heart to be anchored in the, in the truth of Psalm 1611. In your, you make known to me the paths of life, he says. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, I want to drink deeply of your goodness and your grace. God, I so desperately long to see you as enough in my life. Satisfy me, God. I love my wife dearly, but if I find my satisfaction in my marriage, I'm missing it. I love my kids dearly, but if I root my ultimate satisfaction in joy in the success of my boys, I'm missing it. I find fulfillment in the work I do. I do enjoy it. I'm wired for that. But if that is what is driving me, then I'm missing it. Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. For many of us, sadly, we've allowed the cultural pursuit of the American dream to serve as the measuring stick for our ultimate happiness, life, liberty, the pursuit of possessions. And what's at the end of this pursuit? Well, Solomon says at the end of his pursuit was vanity. How do we measure our hearts in this church family? You know, in many ways, we can gauge our heart health in this area of our walk by how we respond when those things are taken away. The security of a job. The ability to enjoy the extras in life. The toys, whether I have them or I don't have them. If I don't have them and I'm desiring to get them, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to have them. And once I have them, I want to prioritize my life around them because I bought it. I spent a lot of money on it. I'd be foolish if I didn't use my time to go after that. Well, maybe that's the point. Vacations, expenditures, political instability. Do I find myself enjoying God amidst the trials or do I find myself longing to be in a place where the stuff of this earth is flowing freely again? How am I praying 
as I'm in the midst of whatever it is I'm going through? Am I praying, God, thank you for this because God, as you give me this trial, you are drawing me to yourself and you are blessing me with your immense goodness. God, if the trial is the means for me to be close to you, I don't ever want it to end because I've never felt closer to you, God, than I'd feel right now. Satisfy me, God. Where are we to find our true and lasting joy? In the unending satisfaction in God's steadfast love. Moses goes on to state, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. Verse 15, Moses and the children of Israel were no strangers to the heartache that comes from a life of counterfeit pursuits. They were living that reality. Such a life leaves you empty, leads you to grief, keeps you from enjoying all that God has for you. Moses desired to know the joy that comes from knowing God, the joy that comes only from his steadfast love. Make us glad in you, God. Help us to rejoice in you, God. To find find our satisfaction in you, God. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, God. He goes on, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to your children. Verse 16, give us eyes to see your glory. Give humility to recognize your hand. Remind us of your faithfulness, God. Help us to recount your wondrous deeds. Give us the vision to see your hand in all things. And as we pray this prayer, brothers and sisters, as we enter into 2022, I would encourage you to sit down with your family, sit down with your kids and recount the blessings of God. Keep us in the place of dependence, God, so that we can know the joy of your provision Because knowing you comes fully when we recognize that apart from you, God, we are nothing. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Number five, let the favor of the Lord God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Verse 17, God, we desire to know that we are living our lives in a way that's pleasing to you. What a wonderful prayer. His affirmation ought to be all that matters for us. It ought to be all that that occupies our minds. Let your favor, O God, rest upon us. Give me priorities that reflect your holiness, God. Give me the energy, God, to do your work. Give me the courage, God, to advance your cause. Establish the work of my hands. God, I desire to live a life that matters. That ought to be central to all of us as we enter into 2022. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we wrap up our time here this morning. But I would ask you as we think about this, as we reflect on Moses' challenge for our hearts, is that your prayer this morning? Does Moses' prayer expressed in Psalm 90 reflect the desperate and dire prayer of your hearts? Is that your vision for 2022? 
Are you tired of simply going through the motions? You know, perhaps you're here this morning and you find yourself saying, Mike, I do want to live a life that matters. I want it desperately. I want to embrace that vision. But honestly, Mike, I've, I've yet to deal with that sin problem that you've spoken about earlier. So my heart, my life, everything I am is in opposition to God right now. If you are here this morning and you want to know what it means to experience the fullness of joy that's spoken of in this text, I desperately want to talk to you. Seek me out when the service is over. I'd love to share with you what it means to know Jesus intimately, what it means to grow in your walk with God, what it means to possess that kind of life. But perhaps you're here this morning and you say, Mike, I know the lasting joy that you were talking about earlier, but I'm struggling to live a life that matters because right now it's all about me. It's all about me, my priorities, my way, my thinking, my life. Brother, sister, the answer is return to a right view of God. That right view of God will direct a humble view of self. Know that you're not alone. God desires to reshape that perspective and make you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. The challenge for all of us is so simple. Pursue a life that matters in 2022. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you that there's power in the blood of Christ. We thank you for your word that convicts us and draws us to your truth. I pray, God, that as we wrap up our time here this morning, God, that you would convict hearts, that you would draw us to yourself, that you'd grow our faith, and that you'd help us, God, to make the shifts that we need to make, God. Make the changes that are necessary for us to grow and flourish in this coming year. Lord, we will give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory for everything that you do in us and through us. For it's in Jesus' great name we pray and for his glory. Amen.